Amen. All right, checking out the skies were blue, Bobby. Yes, they were. That's right. And the mountains' views, they were breathtaking, man. In fact, the ocean waves, they, they soothed your troubled soul on this island paradise. But all that was to change in a sudden jolt. At precisely 4.53 p.m., a massive jolt struck this once peaceful location. It turned it into, listen, an island of doom. Due to the lack of building codes and regulations, the infrastructure literally collapsed. Some 250,000 uh, residences belly up, 30,000 commercial buildings, 4,000 schools, 50 health care facilities were totally destroyed. And many more structures just disintegrated under the force of this jolt, instantly killing or trapping their occupants. Then because many hospitals were rendered unusable, survivors were forced to wait for days for treatment. And they waited too long, they died. And so the, the morgues quickly reaching their capacity, they were totally overwhelmed, listen, with tens of thousands of bodies flooding their facilities. And so they couldn't handle it. So the corpses literally began to be stacked up into the streets. But soon the streets became too full of the dead bodies and they, they simply resorted to disposing them into mass graves. And then to make matters worse, looting and violence began, not just from the local population, listen, but from several thousand prisoners that escaped from a damaged penitentiary. Orphans were created because they were left parentless, and then that left them vulnerable to uh, abuse and human trafficking. And just when you thought it couldn't get worse, listen, cholera broke out, causing 770,000 people to get sick, thousands more to die. And even two years after this event, more than a half a million people were still living in tattered tents. And when all was said and done, this once vibrant country was in total ruins. It cost, listen, 13 and a half billion, not million, 13 and a half billion dollars worth of damage. Nearly one and a half million people were displaced and 316,000 people died from this single event. Listen, the year was 2010, not that long ago. And of course, the disaster was the Haiti earthquake. Yeah, one of us got it. Okay. But how many guys remember that event, the Haiti earthquake and that torment and all the stuff that went going on? I think a lot of us distanced ourselves from it. We didn't realize just how horrific uh, of an, a disaster that was. And again, you guys know the theme with all due respect to those who lost their lives in the Haiti earthquake. What if I were to tell you I know of a disaster that makes that earthquake look like a minor toothache? Okay, and, and what if I were to tell you this disaster didn't occur in just one country at one time in one place, but it's going on right now today all over the world, and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries. Once again, we are talking about the satanic war on the Christian. And again, the facts are this. We Christians, we don't battle here and there once in a while. Are you kidding me? We go to war every single day. The moment you got saved, you entered into a spiritual war against a demonic host whose sole purpose every day, whether you see it or not, Okay, is to destroy you and to extinguish your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. We're in a war. And so in order for you and I to stop getting duped and unnecessarily so spiritually beat up, doesn't have to be that way as we're seeing. Okay, we're going to continue our study, the satanic war on the Christian. We've already seen if you're going to win this war, what do you got to do? Know who your enemy is. Okay, it's real. This is not make-believe. Okay, we don't have to walk around in fear, but don't act like this is not real. The second thing, what your enemy is like. The third thing, the tactic of your enemy. The fourth thing, the destruction from your enemy. The fifth thing, the temptation. Man, every single day is coming after you uh, of your enemy. And praise God, the last seven times, the sixth thing was what? The protection from your enemies. This is good news. God didn't say, hey, there's a demon. There's devils. They're coming to get you uh, every single day. Good luck. Right? No. Praise God. He hasn't left us hanging high and dry. He's given us what? His full-blown protection, his amazing weaponry to what? To look really cool and impress your neighbors. Absolutely, Absolutely not, Bobby. That's right. We'll talk about your internship later. No. What was the point? <laughs> well, it was fun. It was that we can listen, not just stand, but stand our ground and be victorious in how many situations dealing with spiritual warfare? 
All of them, right? That's absolutely good news if you just do what he says to do. Now, we've been taking a look at that armor, and we saw the first thing about it. It's designed for war. It's designed for victory, number two. And the third thing, it's designed to what? It's designed to wear. You don't stare at it. You don't think about it. You don't ponder it. You put it on. In fact, he says you put it all on. And it's very urgent. You put it all on now. Why? Because if you want that complete victory that God's already given to you, put it on, right? It's common sense. But unfortunately, we don't put it on because we don't even know what in the world it is. And that's what we've been dealing, tearing this apart. The first piece we saw we were to put on is what? The belt of truth. What was the belt of truth? It was God's word. How many guys got in to the word of God this morning? Raise your hand. Hey, let me encourage the rest of you. The rest of you, you're walking around like a fool with your pants on the ground. Right? Remember that? We saw that? You've got to have the belt on. As we're going to see again, even with this one, folks, every single piece of armor hinges on the belt, on the word of God. They all attach to this thing, right? The same thing we're going to see. You've got to get into the Word of God. That's the first thing we saw there. The second one we saw was the breastplate of righteousness. What was that? We have to make a deliberate choice when we get out of bed or even before we get out of bed. What? Today, by the Spirit of God, I want to be used as an instrument of righteousness, not of wickedness. You need to make that commitment there. Then we saw the third thing was what? Praise God. Sometimes, guess what? We blow it as Christians, don't we? Right? How many guys have blown it in the last week? Right, those of you that raise your hand, you just did. It's called lying. Right, so, but hey, we blow it all the time, right? So what, what's the good news? The good news is God's given us the shoes of peace. Remember they had cleats on them for traction? It kept you from going backwards from stumbling. Why? Because you need to acknowledge that, Christian, if you do allow a crack in that breastplate of righteousness, praise God, God has forgiven us, completely obliterate our sins, remember no more what sin. And you stand there firm, get up, and keep swinging for Jesus. Amen. And then last time we saw the fourth piece was what? The shield of faith. And what we saw there, again, just like the rest of the armor, it's not a literal piece of armor. Okay. But uh, Paul's using the Roman armor as an analogy to teach us the truth. And the truth is, it's not just a shield. It's a shield of what? faith. And we saw that just like the Roman shields, uh, soldier shields, it protects the whole body, right? This thing. And, and it can only be taken up by me. And Paul says, when you put up the shield of faith, when the enemy comes at you, it covers what? Remember the size of the shield? Size of a door, right? That's the shield that's used here. So God says, here's the good news. No matter what the enemy throws you your way, all the fiery temptations of doubts and fear and all that stuff, if you put up the shield of faith, what's going to happen? It will extinguish how many? All of the, isn't that awesome? We don't have to live this life of just mumbling and stumbling and, and living in sin. And there's no, that's not what the scripture says. God's given us everything for life and godliness. And the armor is a huge part of that. Now, uh, by way, before we finish that up, remember what was the key there, though? It wasn't just putting up the shield. Remember the practice with the Roman soldier? What made that shield flame retardant? It was not just covered with leather. You, they dipped it in water to make it flame retardant. And the water we saw was what? Was God's word. Again, back to the word. Are you in the word? Because you can put up a shield, but if you never get into the Bible, you might as well just hold up a, a piece of cardboard. Last time I checked, cardboard starts on fire real easily. Okay? <laughs> That's not going to put no flaming arrow out. Right? So again, that was a, a neat thing. But now we're into the fifth piece, and that is this. The helmet of what? The helmet of salvation. This is really Really cool. But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Once again, let's see what in the world's going on with this next piece of armor that God gives us to experience victory in how many instances? All, All instances. This is fantastic news, right? This is something you would think that we should nail down the day we get saved, man. What a difference that would have made if somebody would have done that for us. But let's take a look now. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Let's stand as we read God's holy word. 
uh, as his people. Finally, Paul says what? Be strong in who? In the Lord and in his mighty power. Well, what do you do? You put on the full armor of God so that you can, not maybe, not might, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why? Because you're in a battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. God hasn't left you hanging high and dry. right? So that when, not if, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to what? To stand. Well, how do you do that? He starts to break it down. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish. How many? All the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of what? Salvation. You may be seated. But again, we here we see now the fifth one as we're taking a look through this, going line by line in the original Greek here in this wonderful study. The fifth piece of armor, supernatural military equipment that God gives us, listen, to effectively, not just struggle, to effectively struggle and come out what? On top when the enemy comes our way. Okay, this is the fifth piece that he gives us to stand our ground no matter what the enemy wants to throw at you. There's no reason, Christian, for you to fall backwards. There's no reason for you to fall down. You can stand firm and, and, and keep moving for Jesus Christ every single time. And it's called the helmet of salvation. Now, obviously the question is, uh, how many guys this week went to, again, Walmart and you say, excuse me, excuse me, because that's how you ask questions, right? It's, it's, like, it's like right after you went and got the gray pepon, right? You had, excuse me, I found the mustard, right? But can I buy the helmet of salvation? Please show me what now, right? Nobody does that, right? Why? Because it's what? Obviously, contextually, he's dealing with something, an analogy, right? So what in the world is he talking about? It's not just a helmet, right? And it's not a literal helmet. And it specifically says it's a helmet of salvation. What in the world is a helmet of salvation, right? Well, let's not gloss over this again like we, you know, that's, that's where we get into trouble. I, I, I digress. I don't want to go back there. We've already dealt with it. That's our problem. We don't know what this armor is. And we go, sure, I put it on. I don't know what it is. So what is the helmet of salvation? Well, once again, let's go back into the Roman soldier's weaponry and, and stuff that he wore. And let's find out why Paul is using this analogy. And let's dissect it and find out what is this helmet of salvation so we can clearly put it on and get it right. And the first thing we're going to see is it protects your head, hello, from what? Injury. As we're going to see, not just injury, not just a boo-boo. Right? <laughs> Serious injury, right? Enemies coming at you to take your head off, right? But let's take a look. A Roman soldier's head was adorned with this helmet. Typically, these helmets were called the Galea. There was other ones, but the Galea, and they had various forms. Some were like a bronze version, a face mask. They'd have a crest on their head uh, with different things. Uh, some of them had, the, they were called plumes, as you can see there. If you guys remember from history and stuff, they're plumes. And what they did, that wasn't just for decoration. That was to increase the size of the soldier so he looked even taller to intimidate and strike fear and terror in the enemy. As you guys can see with my height, I'd only need one about that high. I mean, it's, I, I don't want to go too crazy. Right? I need one about eight feet high. Oh, and then my head would be going like that. But, but let's just move on, shall we? But anyway, that's what they had those for. It wasn't just for decoration. It was for intimidation. Now, they came in different colors. Yes, red, but it was also yellow, purple, black, combination of those colors. Right? Uh, they also, though, here's what you need to understand. Right? It wasn't just the head. Right? Sometimes you picture it's just like this cap thing on your head. No, no, no. These helmets was a full head protection, right? You can see that they had the, the plates coming down the side for the cheeks in case you got it going on the side there. But also look on the back there. 
It also protected your neck, right? In case somebody wanted to come around and chop your head off from the back. You know, that's a big concern nowadays, apparently. But uh, anyway, so but not only that, he also had a visor in the front, right? Right? And as you can see, there are different types. And basically, the only thing when you put this helmet on that was exposed to your whole head, right? Your neck was covered, your cheeks were covered, yes, the top of your head, but even the front of your head, basically all you had was for your eyes, right? Maybe a little bit there with, with your nose there and things of that nature and your mouth to breathe. Now, obviously, because of that, guess what? These things were hot. These things were uncomfortable, right? This wasn't something you go, hey, I just feel like I'm going to go relax on the back porch and put my helmet on. <laughs> no, no. If you're going to put this helmet on, you only put it on when you're in battle, right? Because this ain't something that's not some uh, design piece to, to, for comfort. It was in serious danger. And, and, oh, by the way, what's Paul say? Put it on. So what's that mean? You're in a battle. You need this thing on, right? This is not for looks, right? This is why no... Roman soldier's uniform was complete without this helmet. In fact, he would, without it, he could be rendered ineffective, right? Uh, he, he could be taken out from the battle, okay? In fact, he would be foolish uh, because one of the weapons, they would come with the battle axe because, again, they, they wanted to not just kill you, they wanted to chop your head off, okay? I'm sorry being graphic, but whatever, okay? They, but they also used something that was called a broadsword, right? A broadsword. Those things were absolutely huge. That's why they had the helmet on to protect them from that. And the broadsword, uh, that's a modern day one there, was about three to four feet long. Huge, massive handle, so big you ain't going to wield it. I don't care how strong you are. Okay, I know you're thinking that right now, John, but you're as cool as you are, you're going to need two hands for this baby, right? It was so big, you're two hands. Oh, and what you would want to do is somehow go right for the enemy's head and basically go right down a crushing blow to the skull, okay? And that helmet was the only way to deflect uh, from that, as well as, yes, an arrow that might come against your head or somebody tried a different sword, right? The helmet kept you from losing your head, no pun intended, right? It, it deflected the blows, right? It protected your head uh, and kept that broadsword from going right down your skull. In fact, uh, uh, basically, archaeologists have discovered, as you can see there, uh, a skeleton. They actually found a skeleton with a cleavage right down the middle of the skull. Right? Which they said indicated that likely it was by somebody who was attacked by a broadsword. Boom! Came right down the top. And of course, who, guess what? They made the mistake. They entered into battle without what? They didn't have the helmet on. And as I stated last week, if you were here, he ended up with a split personality. Hey. Let's just move on. <laughs> I tried getting ready to rumble twice and you guys didn't... I digress. A split personality. But as you can see, the helmet, hello, this was not a casual piece of armor. This was what? This was vital. Right? This is a vital piece of armor. You had to have this baby on. You're, you could, you, your armor was not complete without this helmet on as a Roman soldier. Why? Because the head is a vital part of the body. This is common sense, right? Because you're in a battle. Go back to the natural. The Roman soldier, he's in a battle. He can take a hit in the arm, but guess what? You can still keep fighting. You, you can get whacked in the leg, but guess what? You can still keep fighting. You might get an arrow at you. It might stick in your shoulder. But guess what? You can still keep fighting. But somebody smacking the head, chopping the head. And last time I checked, if they chopped your head off, how much fighting are you doing? You ain't fighting at all. So you have to have the head protected, right? It is absolutely done. When, when you get a head injury, even if it didn't take your head off, a serious head injury, you're done. You're on the ground. You're not getting up. It's very important. One guy, he puts it this way, the importance of it. He said, a Roman soldier would be foolish to enter battle without his helmet on. His helmet was the only thing that could protect his head from the many fatal blows that were coming his way 
uh, via the enemy. He says, and it's the same thing with the Christian. Do not leave home without your spiritual helmet on. Right? And that's the problem. He says, in fact, don't ever take it off. Right? Because you need it because the enemy is constantly whacking at your head. Right? He says, imagine going into a battle where the enemy is not just numerous, but they're so numerous you can't even count them. Now, on top of that, imagine the army coming at you is invisible. You can't even see them. And, and they're really hitting you with actual weapons. They hurl at you, and, and they're coming directly for your head. He does that with the thought. And oh, by the way, he will never stop until you get to heaven. And this is why God gives us the helmet. It is to protect our head from these attacks on our mind. The reality is Satan has influenced and infected this world. Darkness abounds, and he seeks every day to control your head, to control your mind. The battlefield, Christian, is in the mind. That's where he seeks to lead us astray from God's word. When we read God's word, where does it go? Your mind. It renews your mind. So the enemy's coming at your head, your mind, to counteract that. God gives us the helmet of salvation to protect our head from the enemy's attacks. But why the head? Because, again, it's very important. Part of your body controls your brain, right? It contains your brain, which controls everything. Your head determines how you think about life. And what you think about Listen, what you think about determines how you behave. So how does the enemy get us to behave ungodly? How does the enemy get us to behave like him, not Jesus? Where does he go? The head. Because what you think determines how you behave. But that's what the helmet of salvation requires you to not just put it on to protect you, but it also requires you to think biblically about the world and the things going on. It requires you, listen, to have a Christian mind. What's the scripture say? We have the mind of Christ. Where do we get that? From God's word. That's, what, that's our helmet. Basically, again, you're seeing the pattern. What it, importance it is to be in God's word. God's word then, on top of everything else we've seen so far in the armor, God's word acts as a what? A protective helmet. It protects our mind. Right? So when Paul tells us to take the helmet of salvation, he's saying, don't go into the world, Christian, without your head unprotected. In other words, mind your head. Pay attention to your thought life. Why? Because that's where the enemy is going to strike multitudes of times a day. If you don't have the helmet on, you've got nothing to deflect it. Because he's trying to control your behavior. Why? Because what you think determines how you behave. So praise God. God doesn't leave us hanging high and dry. What's he do? He gives us, again, we're breaking it down, his word. Yes, it's a belt. Yes, it's what we dip the shield in and on and on. We've seen also that's where we determine righteousness to say, no, I want to be committed to him. And on and on it goes. That's where we find out, praise God, the forgiveness of our sins, the shield of peace. But now we see it here with the helmet. The helmet, this is what's protecting our head. It's back to God's word. Again, I'll say it again. Do you understand why every single day the enemy... Uh, you, Hey, watch news all you want. Read the newspaper all you want. Hey, read that best-selling novel all you want. Read, read, read Christian books. I, who cares? Hey, just don't read the Bible. Because every single piece of the armor depends on the Word of God. And we wonder why we're getting shot up to pieces. But the helmet is absolutely important, right? That's what Paul says. Take up this helmet, right? And, and that's the problem. Uh, once again, I think the enemy's got to distract him. Because we, 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 we are really serious when it comes to headgear. Have you noticed that? It's just the wrong kind of headgear, right? I'm not against helmets in general, so don't start an email campaign against me, right? But man, we, we were, we're so concerned about the physical, but Paul's saying, would you get concerned about the spiritual? Right? And let, let me give you some examples, right? Think about it. Have you ever, can you imagine, I'll use that word again. I'm already downhill with the 
rumble and split personality. Let's just keep it going, shall we? Right? Whippersnapper, I'll use it again. Have you ever seen those young whippersnappers today? I mean, you're out there, you're trying to be cool, right? You're trying to be collective, being a responsible citizen, but you're out there, you walk out your front door, you see it with your own eyes. There they are, they're riding a bike, they ain't got no helmet on. We go nuts. We go, look at that kid. They're gonna die. I'm gonna call their mom. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in the car. I'm gonna trail them. I'm gonna find out where they live. That's a crime. How could you exist in life without a helmet on? Oh, have you noticed that? People go crazy. They say, if you don't wear a helmet, oh, it's a good one. We have a heart attack. They're trying to kill themselves. What kind of parable other kid? In fact, we don't even wait for that. As a society, we take this so serious. We make laws to force people to wear their helmet. Have you noticed that? Oh, apparently you can do all kinds of other stuff, but don't you go through life without a helmet. The government will come and get you, right? I don't know about you, but remember those days when you didn't need a helmet for nothing? <laughs> Pay attention. Life was good back when. Right? Do you remember that you, listen, this is going to sound foreign to some of you guys. As a kid, I grew up in the front seat of the car. <laughs> Remember that? Listen, there was no such thing as a child seat. The front seat was the child seat. Oh, by the way, no seatbelt. <laughs> Let alone no helmet, right? In fact, my only safety protection device is when mom did slam on the brakes, it was her right arm going, pull, right? And it worked and I'm still alive today. I didn't have the government's, you put a helmet on. We're going crazy about this stuff, right? That we, oh, did you know that you could actually ride a motorcycle without a helmet? Did you know there was life before helmets, right? And I'm not saying go out there and not do that. I'm not saying, that, that's not my point. But, but we are so, man, helmets are, you're going to die. You're going to die. In fact, what's the big thing with the NFL right now? Head trauma. Concussions. Will Smith made a movie about it, right? right? The NFL, I, I checked the stats, the NFL has spent $100 million, one-tenth of a billion dollars, just on research dealing with head concussions from helmets. You can't just have a helmet. You've got to have a helmet that works every time. A hundred million. And again, I'm not against that. Don't shoot me an email. A hundred million dollars just to make sure this helmet works properly. Oh, it's even worse than that. This one blew me away. Now, when it comes to bike equipment, because again, it's not just motorcycles. It's not just the NFL. It's just that kid across the street or an adult who's actually trying to ride a bike. <laughs> Those people, because I gave it up. But anyway, <laughs> listen to this. We spend, America's four, I couldn't believe this. I was like, what? Is that a typo? We spend $14 billion every year, not million. $14 billion annually on bike equipment, which of course includes, guess what? Helmets, right? Apparently, if we don't have a helmet on now, our society, it has risen up the ladder of virtue. If you don't have a helmet on physically, you're gonna die. Your life is over, you're doomed. Now I said all that to get you into this segue. This is basically what Paul was saying, except he's saying, listen, Take that same energy. Take that same strong desire. Take that incredible concern that you have for your physical well-being and transfer it to the spiritual well-being. If you're going to be that wigged out about you've got to have a physical... Put on the helmet of salvation. 
You've got to be that serious. You've got to be that much invested into it or the enemy is going to have a heyday with your head. You see the point there? We are so far off track. In fact, one person said this. He talks about minding your head, right? He said, I was going down the stairway that had this low entrance and it had a sign there that said, mind your head, which of course means what? Watch your head, you're going to smack it on something, right? It's common sense. So we even have signs for that. He says, in fact, I was riding my bike around town and I noticed other bike riders, right? I'm amazed at how many were not just riding them in traffic, but they didn't have their helmets on to protect their heads. He said, I, I, in fact, I read an article about a, a doctor who went for a short bike ride around her neighborhood and she didn't have her helmet on. And she was thrown from her bike. She suffered a serious head injury so bad that she even had to give up the medical practice from that injury. And it all could have been prevented if she would have had a helmet on. Mind the head. He says, I'm also amazed, even more so, if you will, how many Christians don't mind their heads? Listen, we swim in the currents of worldly ideas. Boom, boom, pounding into us, right? Uh, and entertainment, worldly entertainment, and, 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 and without ever developing a Christian mind. We're oblivious, it seems, to the godless ideas of worldly thinking. We buy into postmodern idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And for moral law, we are careless Christians. We ignore and even ridicule the need for sound doctrine. We don't want doctrine. We don't want that in our head. We want experience. We want good feelings, not careful thinking, because we don't mind our heads. Listen, we are not only not transformed by the renewing of our mind, but we are transformed. We're conformed to the evil ideals of this world because we're unprotected. It just penetrates our brain every Single time. But God gives us the helmet of salvation, so we'll mind our heads. Why? Because how you think determines how you behave. Now listen to this. He breaks it down. He says, for example, if you're an angry person, you know why? You know why that's your state? He said, to put it bluntly, it's because your thinking is wrong. Because what you think determines how you behave. You're thinking at that point selfishly. These thoughts go through your head, right? You have no protection. You, you think, I have my rights. I'm not going to let that person treat me that way. I want my way. Angry people think that the world owes them something. And this is a sign the helmet's not on. Because they're thinking like the world. It all stems from their thinking. A person with postmodern view, even in the church, they don't believe in moral absolutes. They don't even think anything is absolutely evil. Nor do they think that they should judge any behavior as wrong. Is that the mindset today? Mindset today? He, maybe homosexuality is not their thing, but who are they to say it's wrong? They're not minding their head. The point is your head determines how you think about life. So put on the helmet of salvation. It requires you to listen, to learn, to think biblically about everything, to develop a Christian mind. How does that happen? It's when you put on the helmet. What's the helmet? Back to the Word of God. How we have anything of a helmet, how we have anything to deflect the enemy whacking at your mind every day to get you to behave and think like him if you don't ever get into the Word. Do you understand what it is? I'm breaking it down for you. And we get whacked all over the place because we don't have any headgear on, the proper headgear. Oh, yeah. $14 billion we will spend every year on the physical helmets, but we don't get around to putting our spiritual helmet on. And we, oh, by the way, how much does God's helmet cost? free. Oh, you can go store my one, but hey, we're Christians. We'll give you one. Free. And guess what? It works how many times? 
every single time. Are you sick? I have people that, oh, Pastor Billy, I can't get these thoughts out of my head. Pastor Billy, this, that, and this thing. I was having a great day, and this is, I was just, things just went wrong, and I was doing this, and, and, and I was, I called backing up the train. Right? Well, obviously, at one point, you weren't sinning against God. At one point, you had a great attitude with God. So back up the train. Where did you go wrong? I'll guarantee you that somewhere in that day, earlier or later, a thought went to your head, and instead of it being deflected by the Word of God, the helmet, you gave into it. And you're, do you see what I'm saying? But you, would, you don't have to live like that if you just get the helmet on, which is the Word of God. It deflects it. The first time that thought comes to your head, no, God's Word says. Right? Oh, you might want to think, no, God's Word says. Well, I think this morality, no, God's Word says that is wrong. God's Word said this is right. God said to do this. God said don't do that. That's your helmet. But if you never get in there, how in the world are you going to have any headgear protection? Every day, folks, think about it. When the enemy does come at you, every single day, fear, temptation, doubt, trying to get you to act ungodly, think ungodly, where does he start? We've already dealt with this early in our, our study. James chapter 1, he starts with the mind. The process of temptation begins with the mind. So praise God, God gives us something called the helmet, his word of salvation. Paul says, take that thing, don't stare at it, put that thing on your head. Now, and that leads us to the second point, is it can only be put on me. And again, you're starting to see a pattern here, hopefully, a consistent pattern, is just like with the belt of truth, just like the breastplate of righteousness, just like the shoes of peace, last time the shield of faith, so it is with the helmet of salvation. I am the only one who could do this. Paul says, take it, right? He didn't say delegate it. He didn't say wait for it. He didn't say call somebody else to bring it to you. He said you take it, right? In fact, uh, he, the word there, take, uh, as in take the helmet of salvation, it's the Greek word, listen to this. He's sending a strong signal to us, dekomai, and it means not just, oh, I'll just take it like a casual thing. It means, listen, to accept deliberately. Do you see what he's saying there? To accept deliberately, to receive readily. And then on top of that, it's in the aorist imperative, which implies an urgent command. So again, he isn't just saying, take it, like, hey, maybe one of these days you might want to consider this as an activity for you to do. No, he's already said, put on all the armor of God. But on top of that, he says, you need to accept this deliberately. You need to receive it. You need to not delay. You need to do it right now. Now, that's just the helmet being the word of God. But he hones in on something specific that we find in the word of God that we need to get on our head. And that's when he said it was the helmet of Salvation. Follow with me here, right? Yes, all of God's word is good. Yes, we need that protecting our head. But now he starts to hone in on a specific aspect that we find, define for us in the word of God, and that is salvation. So the question is, well, what's he talking about? Well, typically most people, and I would agree, focus on two aspects of our salvation that what Paul is saying, we've got to get on our head and protect us every single day because the enemy is going to come in these areas. And the first aspect is the salvation that we have for all eternity. In other words, what he's trying to say is you need to get this on your head every day, Christian, when you go out the door, before you even get out the door. As soon as you wake up, this better be going through your head as a protection device. That when you're saved, praise God, you're saved forevermore. That you cannot lose your salvation. That it is guaranteed because it's not your salvation. It's the salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, we already know this. I preached on this many times. We had a whole study on eternal security for two weeks. Right? But let me just give you some evidence of that, that our salvation is guaranteed just from John. Right? And it's not all of them. Right? But here's what he says. John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, Jesus speaking, has eternal life. How long is eternal? Uh, forever, right? You got it right now. And will not be condemned because he's crossed over from death to life. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will what? Never drive away. John 10. Again, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one, including yourself, Christian, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And then John writes later, here's why I'm even telling you this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have what kind of life? Eternal life. When Christ forgives us, He forgives us forevermore. And we don't need to wonder about it. Our salvation. We don't need to doubt. We don't need to question it. Praise God when we're saved, we're saved forevermore. Woo! Right? Now, why did Paul focus in on that? Because I think we all know the enemy will come and attack you right there, won't you? Hell, he'll, he'll not just tempt you. You need the Word of God in general to him, period from the temptations and the immorality and all that stuff. But man, he'll come at you and get you to doubt your salvation. In fact, Paul even takes it a step further. And he's not just saying this is something just to casually put on and, and just hurry and get it on. He's talking about a full body wrap uh, for your head. I mean, a full head wrap. Just like we saw with the Roman soldier. Listen, the word there, helmet, is the Greek word parakephalia. And it, it means helmet, but it's made up of two words. Listen, it's made from peri, which means around or about, okay, and kephale, which of course means head, right? Now, so basically what he's saying is this is what you need to take and put on your head. This is what you need to hurry up, listen, and literally get your head wrapped around. This is what you have to totally get around your head. Don't leave a single crack. No matter what angle the enemy wants to try to get, you've got to get this truth wrapped around your head tightly. Now, that again, praise God, when you're saved, nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Why? Because, Christian, if you buy into that lie, if the enemy gets a crack into your helmet, if, that's, if you don't have that on, your walk with Christ just went right down the tubes, right? You're full of doubt. You're full of fear. You're mobilized. You have a, right? That's precisely where he attacks, right? One guy, he puts it this way. He says, why did the Roman soldier need a helmet so tightly wrapped around his head as the Greek implies? Because, again, the enemy carried a broadsword, right? Or a battle axe. And he intended it to use on the heads. And when they use it, heads rolled. And if the Roman soldier didn't have his helmet on, listen, his head could literally be chopped off. He'd lose his head. And he says that's exactly what the, the news of the knowledge of our eternal salvation will protect you from if you would just wear that like a helmet on your head, right? The helmet of salvation protects your mind, right? And thus protects us against discouragement and doubt and despair. Listen, and the desire to give up. If you don't live daily Christian in the fullness of your salvation through Jesus Christ, the eternality of it, the security of it, then you will feel the full brunt, boom! of the enemy's battle axe when he comes slicing at your head, right? And guess what? He'll attack you. He'll seal your victory. He'll get you to doubt your salvation, and he's good at that. Every day, listen to this. You, this is him attacking your head. This is him, if you will, using a battle axe on you, a, a, a broadsword right on the top of your head. It's these kind of thoughts. He, right after you've done something sinful, that's when he does it. And what's he do? Boom! You're not a Christian. He's whacking at your head. You couldn't be a Christian. Look at you. Why would the Lord ever save you? Whack! You're not good enough to be a Christian. Look at you. 
You don't deserve to be saved, and on and on it goes. He even gets whole churches to buy into this lie. That somehow you can lose your salvation. Now you got whole churches who are living in constant fear. They're immobilized. They, they, they can't even function properly. There's, there's no security. There's no stability. Listen, instead of eternal security, they got daily insecurity. And once you hit that level, listen, Christian, they begin to wobble. They begin to stumble. They begin to break. They begin to fall down, and they cannot stand up. Why? Because the enemy whacked them. They didn't have their helmet protected with the eternal salvation we have in Christ. It's that simple. Paul says, wrap that baby around your head. And real quick, I'll show this. He says, can you imagine living your life that way? Can you imagine that? He said, can you imagine all your life wondering if you're going to make it to heaven? Am I going to make it? I don't know. He said, what a horrible existence. That would be anything but these things I've written unto you that your joy may be full. Right? (laughs) You'd have to rewrite the New Testament and say, these things I've written unto you that you might be miserable. Right? You can never be happy because salvation was a guessing game. He says, listen, I'll never forget. I was watching a so-called Christian guy on television, right? And somebody called him up on the TV show and they said this question. If you sin and you're a Christian and you forget to confess it before you die or the rapture occurs, what happens? The guy actually said on air, you will go straight to hell. And he says, he says, can you guess what? He helped the enemy go what? Whack. He says, can you imagine living in that kind of fear? He said, that's what Satan wants. He wants us to be afraid that we don't have eternal salvation. He wants us to doubt salvation. He wants us to not believe that God can keep his promises. He wants us to think that our salvation is not forever, that God can't hold on to us, that he can't keep us secure, that he doesn't have the ability to hold on to us forever, including our own sins. In essence, he wants you to call God a liar. And in essence, when you give in to the enemies whacking on your head, that's what's happening. But Paul is saying, you put this helmet of salvation on, and you need to acknowledge, Christian, every single day, there is no way, no one, and nothing in the universe that can keep you from Jesus Christ and going to heaven. Amen. No matter how many times the enemy whacks at you, and he's going to whack at you, especially if you blow it. And we blow it, don't we, Christian? But Paul says, you put this helmet on, nothing. It just what? Glances right off. It doesn't cleave into your skull. It doesn't create that split personality. Stand. And having done everything, to stand. Now, why didn't you do that with the thing up here, with the, the, the disciple thing? You, you, you kind of got the split personality thing, but obviously I'm not bitter about it. <laughs> I digress. Put the helmet on, Paul says. Now, that's just one aspect that I think that uh, a lot of people are saying, and I would agree, that it's not just the Word of God. Praise God, we do need the Word of God, period. That's our helmet. I'm fully convinced of that. But he added the word salvation, right? So, and our salvation is eternal. That's a good thing. And where do we get that from? Again, it's consistent, the word of God, right? So he's going to come whacking at you to get your salvation, put your hope in God's word. That's your helmet, right? That's the first aspect. I think the second thing that he's trying to tell us is there's also hope in the salvation that we have. And you get this little nugget because Paul actually uses this same phrase elsewhere, but he adds a word. And I think what he's talking about is one day, not just that our salvation is secure forever, one day this suffering is over. Now that's something we need on our head. And it's what he says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 8. So then let us not be like others, he said, who fall asleep, right? But let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. In other words, stop living like the world. How does he get you to live like the world? 
your mind. What you think determines how you behave, right? So that's why he says this. So, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Well, how do you do that? You put on faith and love is a breastplate and what? Same verbiage, but he adds a word and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Not just salvation as a helmet, the helmet of salvation. He adds this word hope, okay? And, and hope there is the word ellipsis. It means a joyful, listen, a joyful, confident expectation of something good coming, right? And, and obviously it implies something future that you haven't received yet, right? And that's why Paul says this in Romans 8, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all because who hopes for what you already have? So hope by definition means you don't have it yet, but you hope for it. But in that hope, whoo! There's strength, there's joy, there's confidence, right? And, and most people would say what he's talking about, this hope, is our inheritance that comes with our salvation. And this is what Paul says here uh, in Ephesians, as you can see there, 118. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, Right? So the hope is the inheritance that we get. Yes, praise God we're not going to hell. Yes, praise God that we're going to heaven. Yes, praise God that we've been forgiven our sins. But what he's talking about, one day we get to be in existence beyond our wildest dreams with no more devil and demons and spiritual warfare, none of that stuff. And this is what we see in Revelation 21, right? Revelation 21, 3 through 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making how many things? Everything is new. Now, what does this mean? What does this imply? We've talked about this before in our studies about heaven and studies about the millennial kingdom. We are headed Christian. Listen, salvation isn't just being saved from hell. Praise God for that. Salvation isn't just being forgiven of our sins so we can escape hell. Praise God for that. What's the inheritance? One day, we are headed to a place beyond our wildest dreams. No more sin, no more suffering. It is perfect all the time. No more battle, none of that stuff. And when you get that truth down now, when you put that on your head, oh man, things down here really begin to change. I've shared this before, but these guys had to learn it the hard way, right? One uh, day there was this 85-year-old couple, and they've been married for almost 60 years, right? And, uh, and Orson and Jeanette, they, no, whoever they were, uh, <laughs> they suddenly, unfortunately, died in a car crash, right? And, but, but they're Christians, so they went to heaven. And, and, and they'd been in good health for the last 10 years of their life on earth, mainly because of their interest in health, food, and, and exercise, and diet, and all that stuff. Well, they, they got to the pearly gates there, and Peter, he takes them to their mansion, right? It's decked out with this beautiful kitchen, this master bath suite, jacuzzi, and they're oohing and on. And, and the old man, he asks Peter, he says, uh, uh, how much is this going to cost? And Peter says, it's free. This, this is heaven. And so next they go out to the, the back of the survey, the championship golf course that their home was backed up to. And they learned that they would have golfing privileges every day. And each week the course would change to a new one, representing one of the awesome, famous golf courses back on earth. And so the old man, he goes up to Peter and he goes, how much are the green fees? And Peter said, this is heaven. You play for free. Well, next they go out to the clubhouse. They see this lavish buffet, put Las Vegas to shame. It's got all the cuisines around the world. It's laid right out before them. And, and the old man, he says, well, how much does it cost to eat? And Peter, he's getting a little exasperated. He says, hey, listen, don't you get it yet? This is heaven. It's free. 
So then the old man, he asks timidly, he goes, well, where's all the low-fat tables and the low-cholesterol tables and stuff, right? And Peter says, hello, that's the best part. You can eat as much as you like, whatever you like. You never get fat, you never get sick. This is heaven. Well, with that, the old man, he goes into a fit of anger. He throws down his hat. He's stomping on it. He's shrieking wildly. And Peter and his wife, they both try to calm him down. They ask him, what's wrong? And the old man, he looks at his wife and he says, man, this is all your fault. If it weren't for your stupid prunes and bran muffins, I could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> it's like we run from our future, Christian. Do we have any idea what we're headed for? And I think this is the other aspect of the helmet of salvation that Paul says you better wrap around your head every day. Because it's another area that the enemy is going to try to not just discourage you, but to deflate you. He gets us to thinking that it's just never going to end, man. I'm so sick and tired of this daily battle. Come on, helm every day is like this. And Paul's saying, listen, pace yourself. Buck up. One day, you're going to an existence, listen, where apparently you're never going to have to eat prunes or bran muffins or tofu or rice cakes or chicken. <laughs> That's drinking news right there. I should close in prayer on that strong note. <laughs> but that's what he does. He not only gets you to try to doubt your salvation, First of all, he wants you out of the word so you never get the helmet on, period. So you, you can't deflect with it against the morality and all that stuff, immorality. Then he tries to get you to doubt your salvation. If he can't get you to do that, he'll try to whittle you down. He'll try to get you exhausted. He'll try to get you to think, man, you, just, you might as well just give up, man. You sick and tired yet? Every single day, huh? You like it now? Huh? It's great? Get up? Yeah, what kind of God is this? He's allowing you to go through all... Remember, have you heard those thoughts? Whack! That's his sword coming at you, man. The enemy. To get you to give in, give out, give out. There's just no end of sights. The same never-ending spiritual grinding pain and agony, wielding this and parrying that and blocking that. And you might as well just give up. In fact, look at those other churches out there. Look at those other Christians. Why don't you just go do what they do? Yeah, you're saved. Why don't you just eat, drink, be merry? Might as well at least have some fun. You ever heard those thoughts? Do you see what, what it, he's talking about here? The other aspect of salvation? He's saying don't give up. That's a lie. Don't let that penetrate your head. Right? Real quick, and then we're going to close him. I actually ran into a, I ran into, I won't mention the name, but a, a pastor. Uh, I think he, he was getting whacked on in this area. And he was ready to give up. And I remember I was driving with him in his truck. And uh, he was just getting bombarded, man. Uh, you know, spiritual, it's daily spiritual warfare. It just never stops, right? We know that. But he's just getting hammered, man. Hammered and hammered and hammered. And we pull into his driveway, right? And I'm in the passenger side. He's driving. And he pulls in. He puts the, the truck in park there. And he just, I kid you not, I'm not making this up. He goes, he starts pounding the, the and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense towards him. My heart went out to him for a moment. And it, I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But <laughs> it sounded rough. But anyway, so he starts pounding the, the stream. I wish it would stop. I wish it would stop. I just wish it would stop. And I, I'm sitting there in the passenger seat. And I looked over at him. I go, Dude, you're a pastor. No, I didn't say that. No, I said, <laughs> I looked over and I said, dude, stop eating chicken. No, I didn't say that, but that would be good. 
Here, here's what I said. Ladies, you've got to understand that sometimes, guys, we, we can speak to guys a little bit more blunt. That's what guys do. And I looked over him. And I simply said, I did say, dude. I said, dude, buck up. You need to buck up and deal with reality. It is never going to stop. The enemy is going to hound you every single day. Don't quit. Don't give out. Don't give up. And don't give in. It's never going to stop until. Here's the hope. One day we get to heaven. And it's going to be worth it. This is our one shot. If we don't give up and don't give in and don't give out. To earn a crown. To lay at Christ's feet. To store up treasure. Don't quit. That's what the enemy wants you to do. But one day, no more pain, no more devil, no more demons, no more suffering, no more sin, no more spiritual warfare forever and ever and ever and ever. So buck up, soldiers, stand up. This is not a time to sit on the battlefield, right? And of course, right after that, he fired me. But uh, no, I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, hopefully it was an encouragement to him. Right? But that in essence is what Paul is saying. And as I close, I want to share this with you. Okay? Even if, you know, because sometimes you do get whittled down as a Christian, right? And you just get tired, right? But again, it, you don't have to spend all your time down below if you just do what God says. Again, we get victory in how many situations? All. So if you're getting whacked on and you find yourself sitting rather than standing, it's a sign you need to get all the armor on. But with that said, sometimes it gets exhausting. And sometimes you'll look at your life and you'll go, and, and you're tempted to give in to the enemy's lies when he wants to whack into your head. Look at you, man. You're all beat up, Christian. Man, how many hits have you taken? What kind of God you, look at all those scars all over you. What kind of God you serve, man? You think he'd love you, he would have kept you from all those scars. There's another way to think about that. Could it be that the scars you have, Christian, aren't from God leaving you alone? Don't let that penetrate your head. That's a lie. Could it be that the scars you have, they were created from God refusing to let you go? Like he promised. Like this mother did. Watch this. We'll close in prayer after this story. But true story, I'm told. Some years ago in a hot summer day in South Florida, there was this little boy he decided to go for a swim in the old swimming hole back behind the house there in Florida. Okay? And in a hurry to dive into the cool water, he just jets out the back door. He leaves behind his shoes, his socks, his shirt, everything as he went. He, he flies into the water, not realizing that as he swam toward the middle of the lake, an alligator, true story, was swimming toward the shore, heading his way. His mother was in the house. She's looking out the window. She sees the two getting closer and closer together. And in utter fear, she ran towards the water, yelling to her son as loudly as she could. Hearing her voice, the little boy became alarmed. He made a U-turn to swim back to his mom. But it was too late. Just as he reached her, the alligator reached him. Right there from the dock, the mother grabbed the little boy, her son by the arms, just as the alligator clumped onto his legs. And then began an incredible tug of war between the two. The alligator was much stronger than the mother. Listen, but the mother was much too passionate to ever let go. And a farmer just happened to be driving by, heard the screams, raced from his truck, took aim and shot the alligator. And remarkably, after weeks, after weeks in the hospital, the boy, he survived. But his legs, whew, his legs were extremely scarred by the vicious attack of the alligator and from the deep scratches from his mom's fingernails in his flesh in an effort to hang on to the son that she loved. 
And so I kid you not, a newspaper reporter who interviewed the boy after the trauma asked him if he would show him the scars. And the little boy lifted his pant legs and showed him where the alligator got him. But listen, with pride, he said to the reporter, but look at my arms. I've got great scars on my arms too. I got them because my mama wouldn't let me go. He said, friend, you and I can identify with that little boy. We got scars too, not from an alligator. But we got scars of a painful past. We got scars from spiritual battle. The scars are unsightly. They've caused us deep, deep wounds. Some wounds, my friend, are there though because God refused to let us go. And in the midst of our struggle, he was there <clears throat> holding tightly onto you. The scripture teaches us that God loves us. And if you have Christ in your life, you become his child. He wants to protect you and provide for you in every way. But sometimes, Christian, we foolishly wade into dangerous situations. The swimming hole of life is filled with peril. We forget that an enemy is there waiting to attack. And that's when the tug of war begins. And if you got scars, Christian, it's scars of God's love on your arms. And be grateful that he did not and he will not and he will never let you go. Maybe that's where the scars came from. That's the helmet of salvation. That's what Paul says, put that baby on. And where do you get all that from? Word of God. Once again, do you see why Paul started with the very first one? What do you do? You don't want all the armor falling off? You don't want your pants on the ground? Put on the word of God. But get this helmet on. And in essence, have a great day. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin, then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. 
God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more, the Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crown of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly.
And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.